hopes and ideological sentiments. If, if 10 years ago, 15 years ago, people were much less willing to admit that they have some positive sentiments towards these ideas, today they are much more open. Well, Ari, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Good luck with the book. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. My guest has been Ari Perliger. He's a professor and director of the Graduate Program in Security Studies at the School of Criminology and Justice Studies at University of Massachusetts Lowell. His many publications on political violence include Jewish terrorism in Israel. We've been discussing his new book, American Zealots, Inside Right-Wing Domestic Terrorism. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. We're online at risingupwithsonali.com, where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Rising Up with Sonali is hosted, written, and executive produced by Sonali Kohatkar. Anna Bus is the producer, technical director, and web and social media supervisor. Our theme music is by Grammy award-winning band, Gets Up. Like us on Facebook.com slash RUWithSonali. That's the letters RU with Sonali. And follow us on Twitter.com slash RUWithSonali. Our website is risingupwithsonali.com, where you can find all our programs archived and where you can get direct access to all our video and audio files. Listening to KBOO Portland. Do you believe in the importance of community radio? Of course I do. Then show your support today by donating online at kboo.fm and help us meet our fall fundraising goal of $80,000. We can only get there through the support of people like you. So donate at kboo.fm or mail us at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue, Portland, Oregon, 97214. Give a one-time donation or become a monthly sustaining member today. Thanks. One, two, three, four. Y'all ready for this? Ladies and gentlemen. Hard Knock Radio hanging out with you this afternoon. Tomorrow there will be big doings in the city of Antioch. As you know, over the past few months, we've been focusing a lot of attention on what is going on in Contra Costa County. We know what's going on in San Francisco, and we see what's happening in Oakland. But again, we remind people that so many folks from those respective cities and beyond have been displaced and many find themselves living in the outskirts of the Bay Area. 
Cocoa County has long had a reputation for being kind of intolerant when black and brown folks have shown up. And as the population has increased, so is the vitriol of people who just don't want these folks there. Um, we've covered the marches in Martinez and the racial unrest that was there, Walnut Creek, and tomorrow they will be in Antioch. Prior to this big march that is coming up, there were several people that launched a hunger strike. And it was one that was met with not only vitriol, but actual physical threats. So I wanted to talk to uh, one of the strikers. We also have uh, one of the key organizers on the phone with us this afternoon. So Shagufa, how you doing? Um, did I pronounce it correctly? Yes, you did. You did pronounce it correctly. Talk a little bit about the hunger strike that went on uh, this week leading up to tomorrow's march. And um, first of all, how were you all able to do that? Because if it's 100 degrees and it was 109 degrees here in Oakland, mm -hmm. then I can only imagine what it was like up in Antioch where it's always a lot hotter. Right, yeah. So we started this hunger strike about eight days ago. Um, and it we did pick a weekend that was extremely hot there was fires going on um and it was a really really bad bad weekend however we strove to create changes or we, we are striving to create changes in our community we didn't really care about those conditions because we definitely are super passionate in our community and we were down for this cause of um making sure that there is police accountability within our city just before you all started the hunger strike, we had gotten word that the California State Legislature um, had a bill before it that would have uh, decertified police, you know, abusive police, um, the same way that doctors get decertified and lawyers get, um, you know, they get disbarred and the whole nine. And we found that the House that has a super Democratic majority refused to even bring this thing to the vote, thus the bill was killed. How do you all feel just knowing all the marches that you all have done, all the organizing people like you and Sevji have done and, and so many others, and that's just in Antioch, we're not talking about the rest of the state, which exactly. just brings it up to hundreds and thousands of people that have been out on the street to see that these elected officials refuse to do even the most basic thing. It all comes, for me, it all comes down to money. Uh, I was reading an, uh, an article about that specific bill and it was saying that there were police representation. The police union came in force. It, the police union are, they're very powerful. They have money, they have the resources, they have the special interest groups all aligned with them. Um, and so the fact is in the legislator, these candidates are wanting money. They want to get reelected. So obviously they don't really care about the community needs. We as community members have been fighting for police accountability to create change within the police departments. We have been protesting. There have been sit-ins. I mean, Oakland, San Francisco, all throughout the Bay Area. I mean, all throughout America. Yet they're still not trying to make they're not trying to take steps to create those changes because of money because of the police union it's it's just very unfortunate especially for young people like us as the hunger strikers 
we were very upset with our own city officials not taking their opportunity to have a conversation with us they haven't even tried to reach out to us as we were trying to reach out to the city council members we have tried to reach out to the police chief and no response nothing they want to silence us is what they're trying to do is the hunger strike still going on so on the fifth day uh we decided to end the hunger strike uh the, uh, the hunger strike Due to the uh, um, due to the city council meeting that happened on the the day before, because um, when they were in in their city council meeting, they had over hundreds of public comments in regards to us as hunger strikers being out here at the police department, wanting to have some positive changes in our community. Yet, they didn't even they didn't even, they didn't even acknowledge us. They didn't have the decency to say yes, there are hunger strikers. We will reach out to them. We will talk to them. We will come out. No, there were hundreds of public comments and they just went through the agenda like nothing was going on. The mayor, this on the same day of the city council meeting, there were young people, around 12, under 12 young people that had went to his business to, to have a conversation with him in regards to the hunger strike, in regards to police accountability. And the mayor lied, lied to the to the city of Antioch saying that he was held hostage. Most of these um, protesters who went to his office were under the age of 18. And he said he was held hostage and that they were harassing him while they were just trying to have a simple conversation. So these city officials do not care about having these conversations. So uh, um, the six of us decided that we will not die for these people. However, we will still occupy the police department. We appreciate Sorry. that. No problem. Right. That's the voice of the voice of Shagufa Khan. Um, I'm going to have you be on mute because you're outdoors a little. I want to bring yeah, in Sevji. Yeah. No, it's totally and, cool. and Sevji's been on uh, mute because she has kids in the background. But Sevji, how are you doing from Together We Stand? Hi, Davey. Thanks for having me back again. I am doing well, juggling the homeschooling and all of that. <laughs> are you getting tired of having to organize in, in doing these marches. Um, it seems like, you know, this is one of many that you've uh, been a part of. Do you feel that there's, that you're being heard, that people are, are, are taking uh, these efforts seriously? Um, just hearing what Shagufa was saying, that, you know, with the uh, mayor um, actually trying to lie and we didn't even talk about the threats they were getting. And then, as I mentioned, seeing the legislature refusing to look at SB 731, um, so police who are abusive don't get decertified. That seems like something that would be very discouraging. How are you dealing with that? To be honest with you, I am as motivated as ever. And I will say that when we go into these communities, it's not just a drop in and leave. It really has, we've been seeing, empowered the citizens and gotten people involved that hadn't been involved before. So that's always our goal is to get people out and uh, taking action who may not have done so prior. Uh, you know, what the mayor has done is really quite disgusting. Not only, uh, lying and saying that he was being held hostage. I watched the video live as the youth were there, you know, 
asking for a dialogue and uh, when he went on social media saying he's being held hostage, you know, he's scared. Yeah, people are on there saying, oh, they're getting their people. They're coming down, uh, call out the National Guard. And he knew exactly what he was doing using that terminology. You know, he's trying to incite fear and violence. And he put those people who are out there putting their lives on the line already at risk even further, which is so uncalled for. But just because he didn't want to have a conversation. And then he sent out an email to thousands of people in his city basically stating that uh, they've had enough of this and they need to get this out of their city. And if you support that, you know, to get back in touch with him. Fortunately, we got a copy of that email. But, you know, he's clearly quite upset that people are standing up in his city for Black Lives Matter and against police accountability. And it's important that his constituents, all of them, know that that's who he is. And the fact that he is really trying to rally people to potentially do physical harm is quite concerning. Let me ask you this. Um, first of all, give people the information for tomorrow's march and rally in Antioch. Sure. So we are going to be meeting at Antioch City Park at 4 p.m., and we will be marching through several neighborhoods of Antioch and ending with a rally in front of Antioch Police Department. We will also be having a car caravan, so people who are not able to march uh, or are concerned about um, the air quality or COVID, what have you, are welcome to come and caravan in their cars. Uh, there is actually a caravan from the Walnut Creek Daily Protest heading out to Antioch, or people can just meet us in Antioch. And we have uh, all of that information posted on our Instagram and uh, Facebook pages at TWS Revolution. Uh, but it should be an incredible event. We have people who are running for city council coming to speak, people who are really in support of uh, these young people who have really been out there on the ground, on the front lines, uh, that want to come out and really show that that's important to them within their city. And we are doing our best to provide security and safety given Antioch Police Department has not in any way offered to provide traffic support or anything, which is a first because every other city um, that we've done these main major marches in, we've had at least some cooperation from the police department and we've had absolutely zero. Let me ask you this. Um, one of the things that I find remarkable um, with the number of protests that have been going out in Contra Costa is that it's not just protests, but you actually have gotten a number of people to run. So, you know, there are people running in Martinez for city council. You've got people running for city council in Walnut Creek. Or is, is that pattern carrying over into Antioch? you know, trying to make sure that as you hit the street, you're also giving people um, some sort of potential tools that they can put into place to make decisions. Absolutely. And, you know, fortunately, there are some great folks that are already running. Um, and there are a couple that are on the city council that have been uh, supporting these young folks. Uh, 
And, you know, it is important. And I think that that is one of the things that comes from this is that people get motivated to actually step up and take action. You know, I think a lot of times when it's in another city or it's just on the news, people don't really take it seriously. But when they come out and they experience the energy and the power of being within their community and taking a stand, it sort of gets them moving in a way and, and, and they want to take action and make change. And sometimes that is, uh, you know, civically. And we're very excited for that. We really do hope that this new election will bring a huge wave of change to the city of Antioch. It's desperately needed. Most definitely. Before I bring Sh uh, Shakufa back in, let me ask you this. Your father was a former Black Panther, and I know yeah. you mentioned him um, when you have spoken on rallies, and I've been in front of you when he's called, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to make, you know, especially yeah. when the threats have uh, emerged. And we you know, I don't want to downplay, but there are oftentimes these marches are coming with threats all the time. And, you know, what have you learned from him and what 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 do you think needs to be applied with the current movements that 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 are that are happening, especially where you're at? Well, you know, my dad has always said, you know, to, he's got four daughters, you know, that you always stand up um, and he explained to my kids who were worried about my safety that, you know, Poppy did this and now it's your mom's turn so that you can be safe. And, uh, you know, he does check in on me before and during and after every March. And unfortunately, since the mayor started his rhetoric, uh, my organization has gotten numerous calls and threats and threats of violence, uh, and I know that there have been people driving by the occupation, uh, threatening uh, the folks out there as well. So, you know, my dad, he believes, and so do I, that you, you stand up, you don't let people bully you. And this is not a time to allow racists to bully us into submission. We have momentum, and, and it's a historical time right now in this country. And and we need to continue to move forward and, and really end this cycle that's been in place for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, for folks who haven't gone out that way, you all turn up even more. The, the sign of a threat means you go even harder. I remember when we were in Walnut Creek and they were talking about the Proud Boys were coming. You know, a lot of folks showed up, you know, just to make yep. sure that that was going to not happen, which it didn't, you know. I think they found somebody made them burn their flag or something crazy like that, but it's good that you have that support. Shakufa, let me ask you this. Um, I saw a video, maybe the second or third day, with a guy coming up with a Blue Lives Matter hat who basically made threats. Um, how did you all deal with that? What has been, you know, are the, is this just people talking, or do you fear that somebody will try to make good on it, keeping in mind that in Martinez, somebody did show up with a gun and was ready to use it until they got, you know, taken away. So how, how are you all dealing with that? And what happened with the threats when you all were on, um, on the line? That man, we call him the Trumper. Uh, he's been coming by every single day. And even one day, he's been coming every hour. 
we've been receiving so many hate, um, death threats, uh, people saying they're going to, you know, F you using profanity. But this specific guy, has been, he's been here since day one, since we've been out here. Um, what we try to do is we try to, like, be respectful and be like, hey, like, you know, we try to have a conversation with him, but then he just goes blatantly to using profanity, saying get out of here, saying that there's a group of people who are going to come attack us and all options are open, whether it's um, intimidation, whether it's gun use, whether it's um, um, kidnapping. And we caught that all on video. And it, it's scary because he's actually sexually harassed two of us. One um, was another, um, uh, one of our hunger strikers he was asking me like he was basically saying like because uh, she, she had gotten um, sexually harassed at her workplace and he said like oh maybe that the way you dress is why you get sexually harassed and he was just making very really disgusting comments and for me he was like oh can I touch your hair where are you from like it was just it just it makes it makes us feel uncomfortable and the fact is we have told the police about him multiple times because they have come around and they have stopped and we're like hey just to let you know there's this guy who keeps harassing us sexually harassing us and we're not comfortable and the police even said we were gonna one of the police officers said we were gonna arrest him if he came back but yesterday the trumper came back and literally said um get the hell out of here or we're gonna we're gonna hurt you and when when the officers came by again we told him told the officers and they didn't really do anything they're like oh maybe you guys should just leave that's what they want us to do they want us to leave they want us to stop this but we are not going to stop someone literally told me to while they were driving by do ourselves a favor and shoot yourself in the face and on my facebook page i have been getting so much hate lately it's it's been crazy however this hate is making all of us stronger even though there's so much hate, it's it's can making us con wanting to continue. I was born and raised here. I understand what, how racist this community is. I'm tired of it. I'm literally tired of it. But one thing I wanted to add, even though we've been getting hate, there are 10 times more support. People have been driving by saying, hey, like, do you guys need anything? They're bringing us water, ice, food. They've, they've been showing their support by having their right fist up. They've been coming to, down to talk to us. People have been watching over us at night. The neighbors out here love us. So even though we're getting hate, we're still getting a lot of support, which is very immaculate. And we're very appreciative of the community. It's unifying us together. That's good to hear. What do you think the next steps should be in people that are listening? What would you ask them to do? We know that people are gonna come out tomorrow at four to Antioch to march. Um, yeah. But I painted a picture that says, wow, you know, at every corner, we have these elected officials who you pointed out are in the pockets of these police unions. Um, what do you think needs to be done to really move the needle forward if we can't depend upon some of these folks who, uh, who are supposed to be serving the community? Yeah. So first, I would love for people to come out and occupy this Antioch Police Department with us. We have tents, we have food, we have, we have, you know, jackets, blankets. So it'd be awesome to show the strength in numbers and for people to come out and occupy this uh, police department with us. Number two, we would, if you can't do that, which is totally understandable because of COVID, the heat strike, the air quality, is to email, email and send in public comments to the city manager, Ron Bernal, to the city council members, to the mayor, Sean Wright, and to the chief of police saying, 
holding them accountable, asking them to listen to the people and try to come up with a negotiation so that our demands to creating a safer community are met. They have not reached out to us. They haven't. And there's been so many newscast people coming out and asking us why haven't they done that. We don't know why. Well, those newscast people need to ask them themselves as well. But let me ask you this, Gofa. Um, for people who don't know, what are the police department like in Antioch? You know, um, we've heard that there, there have been some brutality and some depth, as there have been in these other cities in Contra Costa. What has it been? How have they been um, where you're at? So there have been multiple cases. Unfortunately, I can't name all of them. Um, it's just there's just so many where police officers are racist. They're they're they're, they're they use too much. They use excessive force on people of color. Michael Maloney. There's no accountability. I don't know if you guys heard about him, but he is a police officer who basically resigned before he could get um, you know an investigation could go through as he killed an innocent homeless Latino man in SFPD. But then before that investigation could go through, he came to Antioch Police Department and got hired because why he's buddy buddy with the chief of police. And he all he has, he's actually used police for or excessive force on community members in the past months. So these officers think that they're above the law and that they can't have accountability happen to them because they are protected by the police union. Unfortunately, that is true, but we really, really just need people to come out and fight for our fight for the change in the Bay Area within our police departments because we can't allow that to happen. There are bad cops, and even though we say ACAB, ACAB, we don't say that we are not attacking individual police officers. We're attacking the institutional racism that is embedded in the police department. That is what it is. When police officers come up and talk to me, I'm like, hey, dude, like I don't hate you. I don't, I don't, I, like, I know you're doing this for a job, you're making a living, livable wage, and, and, and ETC, ETC, but it's just that the systematic racism is not okay. We just need accountability. That is all, sir. And it's like, there are bad cops, and we need them off the force. And it is so unfortunate that that bill, did, that, that bill didn't go through um, to have police officers be decertified if they use excessive force or if they, you know, are bad cops. Real talk. So I appreciate you taking time out of Gufa Khan, one of the hunger strikers up in Antioch. Uh, let me uh, get some last remarks from Sergi Fernandez. Sergi, what are the marching orders that you would like to give our listeners this afternoon? Uh, in, re re in reference to tomorrow? Well, both or tomorrow and just in general <laughs> for the work. I mean, because as, I, as we mentioned, there's been a lot of um, protests, a lot of demonstrations, and and you know you all are, are very, you know I like what you all do. You, you know you're not standing in front of city hall like uh, the you know the Walnut Creek one. You will walk in all up in people's brunch spaces because everything's outdoors. <laughs> you know so yeah. you know walked all through the mall. There was no ignoring like you, they were confronted. Yeah. And and Martinez same thing. You know. Um, they know that you're in the building. <laughs> right. they, they definitely know that you're there. Um, but with that being said, you know, what are the next steps? Well, I think that everybody that is concerned about uh, Black Lives Matter, racial equality, police accountability, particularly here in California right now, we need to 
let our representatives who did not put that bill through know how unacceptable that is. And we need to move forward in another attempt to get police accountability. The fact that uh, the officers who we literally put our lives in their hands, right? And they have to make life and death decisions in the moment's notice. And the fact that they cannot be held accountable and aren't held to the highest of standards is asinine. I mean, it's crazy. So we really, and every state needs to do this. That needs to be one of the highest priorities because we see all too often, especially in the work that I do, because we represent families who've been affected by police brutality across this country, we see time and time again that these officers bounce from one department to another and there's never any real issue you know there's never any real accountability and if there is ever an investigation they're put on paid administrative leave they can go sit in their houses and get paid and then if it doesn't look like it's going to go their way then they can resign and then they can get their pension there's just it's the system is disgusting and you know Shagufa is is correct the the police unions are a huge issue i look at them as america's most dangerous gang and uh we really need to look at the power and uh the money that goes into uh that gang and how we can address it and uh and take that on because it's it's really not going to change until we do so uh so i i encourage everybody to continue to Get out in the streets if you can, and if you can't, you need to be writing your elected officials and making sure your voice is heard and making sure that you get out and vote. And uh, for those folks that are coming out tomorrow, there's a high likelihood that we will face some people who do not want us there, and we have been really successful in staying on our message and keeping things peaceful because we don't give them any energy, so we just... uh, we welcome everyone to come out, and uh, we plan on having a day of strength and uh, equity and equality together. So um, that's about it. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. And, you know, just as a side note, when you mention the biggest gang, that's not an exaggeration. If you all heard the show yesterday, we had Alex Alonzo um, out of Southern Cali who is very familiar with the police gangs, the real gangs, gangs that exist in all these departments, the nomads, the savages, the executioners, um, all these things. And so if you haven't got the 411 on that, you may want to listen to the archive of that show because he gave all the details with receipts, you know, because he's been up to the legislature before the Senate, all that speaking on it. And just like the fact that we had um, these legislatures ignore a bill that would have decertified abusive cops. We also have that very same legislative that have been turning a blind eye to actual terroristic gangs that exist in some of these departments. So I appreciate you speaking tomorrow at 4 o'clock at Antioch City Park is where people will be at. Um, so, you know, hopefully people will show up and support. I want to thank you, Sebji Fernandez. I want to thank you, Shagufa Khan. And I uh, want a big shout-out to all the hunger strikers who really held it down all this week uh, there in front of the um, Antioch Police Department occupying it now. We're going to take a break on Hard Knock Radio. We'll be right back. 
Hard Knock Radio hanging out with you this afternoon. I want to turn our attention to a sporting event. Well, I wouldn't say event, but some news that shook up the sports world that may have, um, that may have been overshadowed by the NBA playoffs. Serena losing. Um, NFL opening. Chiefs fans booing in a moment of <laughs> unity. These are all the things that people are talking about. But it was earlier this week that we had South African double Olympic champion Castor Semenya, who went to court and was ruled against being able to compete in the Olympics. The reason why is that she has abnormally, quotation, um, quotation marks around the word, abnormally high testosterone levels. And that set off a firestorm in some circles, and it's very disturbing in many ways. I wanted to bring somebody on who is an expert in this area and is very familiar with the case around Castor Semenya. Her name is Katrina Kakazas. She's a cultural anthropologist, works on the intersection of science and technology studies, um, she examines and challenges the scientific and medical beliefs around gender, sexuality, and body across a range of topics. She's also the author of the book Testosterone, an unauthorized biography, and she is currently, I knew her from Stanford, but now she's down in Emory in Atlanta. So welcome to the show. Um, the first time I, me. no doubt, the first time I've heard of Castor Semenya was actually through you and the work that you were doing. So you've been, you know, connected to this this uh, battle for a while. Can you kind of give our listeners a, a quick one-on-one cast of Semenya, just for people who aren't familiar? Yeah, sure. So Castor's a really special person, and for people who don't know about her, um, you know, she's a Nike-sponsored athlete. She's in her 20s now, but when she first started getting harassed, by athletics. So she's a uh, 800 meter runner from South Africa, black woman, lesbian, and uh, was when she was 19 and she was competing um, and it was a very high level competition 
and sports governing bodies started to raise questions about her gender and some of her athletes did. So in other words, they were questioning, like, did she belong in the female category? And that goes all the way back to 2009. Hmm. So if we fast forward to the current moment, the first thing that I think we all recognize is, okay, that was a long time ago. So this is an individual who has been fighting this kind of um, oppression and judgment and exclusion or attempt to exclude for over 10 years. Um, and what happened really was that um, a lot of people have made the argument, and I would agree with this, that these regulations, while not only designed to leave her out, are absolutely crafted in a way to make sure that she doesn't compete in elite sports. So she's somebody who was born with higher than typical testosterone levels. To be really clear, she's not doping. She's never cheated, and everyone agrees on that. That's not disputed. She has a natural variation, and the argument is that that higher level makes her faster, and that to create fairness in sport, she and other women with higher than typical levels should not be allowed to compete, or if they do compete, they should have to lower their levels. And those levels would be lowered by drugs or surgery. So we're not talking something benign. We're talking like deep interventions into the body to change somebody's physiology. So let me let me ask you this. There are always been people in sports. When I played tennis, there was always people who had an advantage some because they were smaller so they didn't have the wind resistance, some because they're taller so they're able to reach the basket, some who are just massive so they're able to tackle harder. I mean, you know, I think that in the case of Castor, they're looking at uh, Michael Phelps and the, the swimmer and it's saying he has double joints, he has bigger than average lungs, all these different types of things that have played to his advantage. Why haven't we seen uh, a literal, a literally pairing <laughs> down of athletes who have these advantages, but with Castor, she has to take some sort of hormones. Do, is this applied to males in any, any, any sort of way? No, not at all, because um, so there's never been an equivalent regulation for men. Men can have super low testosterone, super high testosterone, it's all considered fair, and it doesn't push them out of the category. I think what's different about a Michael Phelps um, in terms of why this is playing out the way it is, I don't think their excellence is any different at all. And I both think they're amazing athletes who might have physiological differences that may or may not contribute to them being great athletes, but that, you know, they should both be celebrated equally. But Castor gets the persecution because she's excelling as a woman. And one of the things that I thought was the most amazing tweet ever was this woman from South Africa who tweeted, because this question is really like, is she really a woman? Does all this high testosterone mean that somehow she's not really a woman? And this uh, person who tweeted wrote, I know she's a woman because men are trying to control her body. And mm -hmm. that's what's different between her and Michael Phelps. You can only be so strong, so fast, so good, so close to... Um, you know, sort of excellence and perfection in sport and 
men will be celebrated and women can, that can bring extra scrutiny upon them. And we've seen this for people who are interested in, you know, or watch a lot of tennis. They'll be very familiar with the ways that Serena Williams has been scrutinized, her yeah. body, you know, her style of play, right? And so there's this idea that you could be too fast, you know, or too strong. And she's been fighting this now. Um, but sadly, like you said at the opening, we're back at square one because unfortunately she did not win her appeal. And so we're now left with this regulation that I mentioned that now, says to women, you cannot compete with your natural testosterone level. What was the appeal? Was it a Supreme Court? Was it some tribunal? I mean, how did... Where, yeah, where? so sport is really weird in the sense that not only does it have its own governing bodies that can basically do whatever they want, they're like they're like their own nations with their own governments. No one is above them. But, um, and they don't have to subscribe to human rights if they don't want to. And they don't have to abide by international human rights law. There's no one putting pressure necessarily in that way saying you have to do this. So Castor brought her case to a very specialized and particular court for sports that is in Switzerland because that is where these regulations, a lot of sport regulations um, and doping challenges, everything goes to this little sport court. Mm. So at first she challenged it there and she didn't win, but to be really clear, an athlete before her challenged, um, an Indian runner, and we won her case. So to get to the politics of this for a second, because people get real interested in the science, but to get to the politics for a second, um, when that woman won her case, her name is Judy Chan, the sports governing bodies for track and field didn't give up. What they did was double down and make a set of regulations that no longer applied to that Indian woman. They limited the number of events. And they were like, that woman ran 100 meters. They limited it to, so it's not even all track and field events. It's just some. And that's wow. where people started to say, this really looks like targeting of her. So she, Judy won her case. They went back, started crafting their own science to support it. They limited the number of events so Judy couldn't bring her case back. And Castor then brought a case because it affected her events. And Castor lost that case. She appealed it even higher. Because this court is in Switzerland, the only place to appeal is the equivalent of the Swiss Supreme Court, and that's the ruling that came down this week. And unfortunately, for our purposes, any finding of fact that happened in that earlier case, they cannot revisit. And so one of the problems here is that one of the accepted facts, well, there were many from that her case, one of them was that somehow unequivocally testosterone is jet fuel for women athletes. And wow. I have done work to challenge this along with Rebecca Jordan Young in our book, but no one sufficiently challenged that in the court case. And so that was accepted as fact. And that is absolutely contested science. So there's so many questions I want to ask. You know, one, I'm old enough to remember when some of the German women athletes were yeah. competing and they had facial hair, hair on their backs, 
and you know and they were told that they were superior and you know there was some question but nobody was you know uh, made to uh, go through what cast is going through right um, I'm also remembering you know just from history that there's always been this question and I think you alluded to this with Serena when it comes to black women in particular are they really women that's the question right so you have that what's happened in the past this what's happened in uh, historically with folks wanting to um, examine black women's bodies and figure out why it's so different than everybody else and then putting it in, in these crazy categories you know what comes to mind since we're talking about South Africa is uh, you know is um, oh gosh I'm going to forget her name Sacha Bartman yes yeah, Sacha Bartman yeah, yeah right right Sacha Bartman right so you know and they just put her body back you know yeah. sent her bones back after it was you know um, you know examined for hundreds of years or a couple of hundred years so I guess you get what I'm, I'm, I'm coming at is how much of this is fueled by old notions that black people's bodies are different than everybody else's? How much of this is fueled by, um, you know, just a, a disdain for women, you know, uh -huh. excelling? Uh, yeah. So I think I'm really glad that you brought up Sarchi Bartman and this long history of scientific and medical racism because there's a way in which um, those histories haunt what's happening right now. Um, for people who don't know, there is, um, they're not just interested in people's testosterone levels, which you could pretty easily measure. They're interested in what they also understand the receptor activity to be. So it's like you can have a testosterone level, but we all have receptors as well. Mm -hmm. And our receptors are different. And so what they do is scrutinize the whole body, you know, breast exam, genital exam. Um, they ask about sexual behavior. They ask about identity. Like this is really intrusive information and that and this is asking, what the Olympics was doing to cast. Yes, yes. The Olympics and uh, sport governing body for track and field, which is now called World Athletics because part of what they're doing is diagnosing the woman. Part of what they're doing is trying to assess by looking at her clitoris size, what they imagine, sort of what kind of bang for the buck is she getting from testosterone? So they were measuring her clitoris size? They were looking at the genitals. They were this looking is at the what they did with This is what they did with Miss Bartman. They did. So that fascination, that kind of grotesque um, interest in the body and the belief that one has a right to do this. I mean, if we pull back for a second, Davy, like let's remember for a second that all of this is being done under the rubric or claim of fairness. Fairness. That having a policy like this makes sport for women fair. And I think a key problem is fair for whom? Because from the perspective of a woman of color from the global south, um, if you were thinking about questions of fairness, your mind would immediately go to access to resources. What kinds of equipment, training, nutrition, high altitude this, travel, access to shoes, right? All of this stuff that might be important 
for women living in countries with fewer resources available to them. So there's no regulation around fairness that says everyone needs access to equal resources. The mm. regulation focuses on physiology, and so you know this, uh, like I don't have to tell you, there is also a very long history of trying to explain black excellence in sport through mm. deep, um, deep interrogation and examination of looking for differences in physiology, you know, Achilles tendon, whatever it might be. Right, or melanin fibers, and all that stuff. All of it. And that's, I think that's the problem. So there's so many things going on here. I will say just really quickly, the sex testing, which is what this is called, has been around for a very long time. And it has been true that white Eastern European women were implicated, but they are not now. And part of that is because there is greater participation of women from the global South. And these young women, have not been intervened upon at birth in ways that would have lowered their testosterone. That's important because people from the global north are trying to stop those interventions from happening because they're understood to be human rights violations. So it's wow. also a medical colonialism of we global north doctors think that you global south women should have been intervened upon at birth or later and had your body changed according to our paradigms and norms. So there's a lot of layers. We have um, some athletes who have transitioned from, you know, transgendered. Where does that fall in the spectrum? You know, we have um, the woman, um, I forget her name, they used to call her Cyclops that was in the MMAs, who oh. was, you know, that was always winning. And, and people raised the thing, well, she transitioned, she was a man at one point, so this is unfair. Um, if somebody has transitioned, are they allowed to compete or do they have to go through, you know, a, t a t testosterone uh, test, so to speak? Yeah, so just because people often conflate these, I want to be really careful that we're talking, for all of these, we're talking about the women's category but we're talking about different populations of people with different regulations. So there's actually what I've been talking about, which is, um, so Castor is not trans, nor was duty, um, where there is this testosterone regulation. There are parallel regulations for trans women. Um, they have used, it totally depends on the sport, but they have used a similar testosterone threshold and Prior, they had other requirements as well. Um, so in both cases, what sport is saying, though, the part that is similar is that um, sport, not medicine, is dictating what happens to athletes' bodies. And wow. that's a problem, right? That's a problem because that should not be determined by sport regulations that are deeply politicized. It should be determined by individual consultation with the doctor when somebody doesn't feel well. And to be really clear, none of the women that I've talked to with these regulations have any sense of feeling ill or not well because of their testosterone. You don't lower testosterone the way you would cholesterol. It doesn't make you sick right. unless you complain and have a problem, which is often like infertility. Um, where someone will might know then that they have high speed. 
You know, before we close out, let me ask you this. Does this ruling set a precedent in the sense that if I have something that is natural in terms, this is what I'm born with, you know, um, three left feet, you know, right. extra yeah. hand. Yeah. Do, does that mean that we now have the precedent to say, well, you know, this is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a woman now. And, you know, I'm sorry if uh, uh, Katrina, you're, you're extra fast because we found that, you know, you have uh, extra red blood cells, go to surgery and get rid of that. So right now it's testosterone, but since we're examining and trying to figure out, well, how the hell are you this fast? And we find out you got six toes instead of five, you know, does, have we opened the door to be like, here's what everybody has to have in order for it to quote unquote be fair? Well, I think in a way, like, I mean, you've made my head explode for a second because I have like a lot of thoughts, but in some ways we already have because we have the Paralympics, which keeps people out of Olympic sport and in, Olymp you know, right, in, in the Paralympics. So we've already made, you know, normative ideas about bodies govern, mm -hmm. like who can participate and not. I would argue here that the precedent is going in the other direction in the sense that the precedent here is that we can have human rights violations that have been recognized by the UN, right? There was just a report come out in June talking about the human rights violations of these particular regulations, bodily integrity, privacy and dignity, even possibility for torture because of the interventions it's been classified as torture. So I, the, the, these kinds of regulations that rely on biological criteria for inclusion in the female category are really old, so it doesn't set a precedent in that way. It affirms, I think, unscientific, um, prejudicial exclusion of women who happen to be women of, not happen, it's, it's known and I think intentional, women of color from the global south, but women of color who may be butch, who may be lesbian, right? Who, when the powers that be look at them through that gaze, like a medicalized gaze, a white northern gaze, say you are not appropriately feminine or you don't fit the vision of a woman that I think you should and we can require things of you so that you can continue your career. That is the bad precedent that I feel has been set here. Wow. Katrina, I know we got to bounce on this. How can people find out more information and you know, and can you give them the title of your book, et cetera, et cetera? Sure. Yeah, so um, the book is called Testosterone and Unauthorized Biography. It came out um, just under a year ago from Harvard, but it's not, um, I mean, it's a little pointy headed, but it's meant to be accessible to all, right? Um, there are some talks online, but I also think if you look up Castor Semenya's name, she's on Twitter, she's given some really important tweets since this in the last couple of days, talking about continuing to fight. There are other athletes who are affected beyond her. And so the question becomes now, how do we continue to fight this? But there will be more reports from big non-governmental organizations coming out around this issue and so I think we're going to hear more about it and possibly another legal case. There you have it. That's the voice of Katrina Carcasis. I want to thank you for joining us on Hard Knock Radio. Hard Knock Radio East, West, North, 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 North
every set, every hood, barrio to barrio, y'all stand up, stay righteous, speaking to the thugs, one love, we know where y'all at, hot brown buffalo, it's a hard knock life, gotta pay your bills, they want a song about bling, but it ain't real, uh, we speak to the kids and the OGs, organize, mobilize, be the change you wanna see, 415's bumping, hard knock radio, brown buffalo, all up in your stereo, and to the youth, live life like it's golden, go dumb, go hard, but don't forget where you're going, we from the hood, so it's all to the good, let us know this what you're feeling is right, let's get this understood, it's only one reason why we here today, we trying to make real music, so the people can be made, yeah. learning from this hard knock, slipping in these hard knocks, listening to hard knocks, questioning the hard knocks, learning through these hard knocks, living for this hip hop, listening to hard knocks,
Listening to KBOO Portland, 90.7 FM and KBOO.FM online. KBOO Community Radio wants to know what you care about this election season. We want to ask our listeners one simple question.